Bereavement Room is a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I am your host, Kosima Ali. Hi, I'm Hashem Al-Dawi, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I'm Priya Ahmed, and you're listening to Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I'm Bashar Malik, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hi. I'm Tanya Hardcastle, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi folks, welcome back to Bereavement Room Podcast, the third and final season with me, your host, Kolsima Ali. I'm so sad it's the final season, but some journeys have to come to an end. And before we do, I feel super blessed to be able to present the final series to you. To find Bereavement Room on social media, we are on Instagram and Twitter. The handle is at Bereavement Room. As you're all aware, my podcast started here in the UK and has since garnered a worldwide listen, including our friends across the pond, which sees this season platform voices across the diaspora over in the States. And so it brings me great pleasure in announcing our first guest of Series 3, Hatim Eldawi. Hatim was born in Fremont, California. He's lived in three different countries throughout his childhood, the US, UAE and Sudan. He's joined me in the room to talk about his father, who died of ALS, and what it's like grieving so far from home. Since his father's death, he created a blog to honour his dad's memory, a space to create community, to share experiences of dealing and caring for a terminally ill parent. As always, thank you for listening. Hi everyone, welcome back to Bereavement Room podcast. I'm thrilled to say that I'm joined by today's guest, Hatim Eldawi. Hey. Hey, Kalsuma. Hey, How's what's it going? Up? Yeah, not too bad. Really great to have you here. Brilliant to have you here. How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Feeling good. Feeling good. I'm pretty excited about this podcast. Mm. And yeah, I've been looking forward to it all week. And yeah, super excited to talk about um, uh, grief and like my dad. Like, And I really like the platform you built. And I didn't know we had podcasts about this. So this is super cool. <laughs> yeah, there's so many podcasts about grief and loss. So do check out, there's so many, Um, mine is one of many, but the difference with mine is that I platform all black and brown communities, so uh, hopefully there's something for everyone there, Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm just really pleased to have you here because you and I connected on Clubhouse, which is a a new social media application. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were in the club Evolving Through Grief, I think it was. Yeah, I think I think that it was one of like a grief, one of those grief rooms um, with like experts and like mm-hmm. people like yourselves, and it was like a room of like six people. I think yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Kind of what I remember. Yeah, vaguely, it was quite a small room, and we were all on stage sharing our own experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And that was so nice. Like it was just, I like the smaller rooms because you know you you could get heard you can share your story and connect with people and I have to say I have been mostly enjoying the grief rooms more than any of the other rooms 
or on Clubhouse. So it's been really refreshing to connect with everyone. But also you, to find you there was like a bit of a gem. So. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. I, I, you know, it's funny. That was the first time I was ever on Clubhouse and I got to meet you. Kalsuma like that was so cool it was <laughs> meant love- to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> and now we're here this is like from the first time because I was thinking when I joined Clubhouse I was like I'm gonna only join groups or rooms that I care about and I thought to myself you know maybe there's grief rooms who knows and I just searched grief and I found uh, a few rooms not that many but it was more like uh intimate situations like you know like like you said earlier it's like like smaller rooms so everyone can speak mm. so yeah that was a great experience i i actually got to share my story uh with, with people i haven't met before and that was so fun yeah and there's something about that you know sh- sharing your story and connecting with others there's something very powerful about that and i do have to be honest like i left it a little while before i invited you on because i know then we started following each other on social media and i, mm-hmm. I told you i had a podcast and i thought he's been through a lot do I want to put him through a podcast and then I thought well he's been through enough I may as well put him through a podcast (laughs) 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 that's so true (laughs) you're like you're like he needs he needs to be on this (laughs) he's ready (laughs) you're so ready for this and I just thought I have to give him this opportunity he's got to come on in and talk to me Oh, and, yeah, I, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, thank you. No. <laughs> I'm so appreciative. I've been telling all my friends about it. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm really happy that, you know, you agreed to come on and talk to me about your dad. So tell me, uh, before we get started, tell me a little bit more about you, you know, wh- where you grew up, what your interests mm. are and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So I had a little bit of a weird childhood. I was, I grew up in three different countries and like three different continents in my childhood. So my family, they immigrated to the States in the early 90s. I was born in 97 in the Bay Area, Fremont Bay Area, and California. And I lived there for eight years. And then we moved to Dubai, United Arab Emirates and the Middle East from 2005 to 2010 for like another five years. And then afterwards, my dad wanted to move again, but this time to Sudan. So we moved again. Uh, from 2010 2015 um Mm -hmm. in sudan and that was a big transition because i was because sudan is a uh still a developing country and it's Mm -hmm. not like uae or it's not what people usually think like a rich country no it's quite the opposite it's uh it has a struggling economy so i lived in sudan and then always knew i was going to come back to the states so i came back for college i went to usc university of southern california in uh, Los Angeles, California. To be honest, I never stepped foot into LA um, before, <laughs> ever, but before I got into college. So that was, was pretty fun. And yeah, now I live in Santa Monica. I just I graduated like a couple years ago in 2019. And I work now in tech sales at Oracle. And it's been a, it's been a hell of a year so far with the pandemic, but it's giving me opportunities to get some new interests, like new hobbies. Like I'm very big on running 
Like we have really good weather here. I don't want to show off. Oh, you were <laughs> showing I- off. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of friends. A lot of my friends from Sudan, my high school, go to UK. By the way, so I understand. Like they all, I always get the banter. <laughs> like I always get like get roasted for like um, how good the weather is here. <laughs> and amazing, how's their- amazing. I was looking at your stories, and I was like. I looked at your stories and then I turned to the left outside my window and I was like, oh my God, what a contrast. <laughs> it's a big contrast, Kalsuma. Like it's not, it, but at the same time, like I, I visit London a lot because I have a lot of friends there. Mm. Um, so I love coming there. I love the architecture. I love like the city, the vibes. It's, it's, mm. Everything is beautiful. But yeah, that's kind of like me in a nutshell. And uh, I also write about my dad. So that's something I've been doing. Like I have a blog um yeah so yeah and i talk about like i just post like memoirs or like stuff like little quick stories about what me and my dad went through through Mm -hmm. his journey with his terminal illness Mm. and that's important to you very yeah i that i didn't i didn't know i was gonna do that blog i got the idea from my my room college roommate and best friend like he like well, he's my best friend first, then college roommate. <laughs> he likes to put it. Jason, and he told me that uh, a couple months before my dad actually passed away, he said, you should make a blog um, about your dad's experiences. Because, you know, you guys are a Sudanese-American family. You both, you have a lot to say. I'm very opinionated, too. So <laughs> I have a lot to say. And, and I never thought I could write. Don't, I still don't think I, I'm, like, I'm great at it, but I'm definitely... I think I found my niche in writing though, as in like vulnerable writing. Cause I really go in the, the, the goal for the blog is just to, to really help others grieve and like kind of show them my process, like my journey and there's ups and downs and stuff, but I try to be as authentic as possible and not necessarily post for the, gen- like my goal is not just to post for everyone. It's more to like, just be as real as possible so people can really relate. For example, I talk about anticipatory grief, and a lot of people relate to that, um, especially mm-hmm. with p- people who are going through something similar, or they know someone's gonna pass away, but they can't. Uh, but they're not re- like it didn't happen yet, and so people really. Uh, and I've been getting some good responses from it, so that's what's really cool. I have read your blog, and I have to say, oh, thank it, you. It, it's so beautiful, and I've read a couple of entries. Uh, you talked about vulnerability there. I think it's important to make room for vulnerability, however we do that, whether it's through a blog or a podcast. So hats off to you for making that happen. And especially as a man, I think there's a, another layer there as well mm-hmm. from the perspective of a male, which we'll come back to in the conversation. Um, but just so my listeners know how to find your blog, what what's the URL? Oh, yeah. The URL is Baba. B A B A L D A W I E L D A W I dot com. There's also Instagram. It's also the same thing at Baba L Dowi. And you can find the posts uh, in those two places. Okay, brilliant. I will link it in the episode show notes for all of the listeners. Um, now Thank I just you. you're so welcome. <laughs> and I and I just want to go back to you, you know, you've got a very international background. You talked a little bit about moving to Sudan and you were there for a little while. I'm just mm. a little bit intrigued. What was that like for you as a young person? Oh boy, I 
I still remember the day my dad told me we we're going to move to Sudan because I mm. went to, we were in Dubai and it was the, he already moved me, moved, moved me to a second uh, middle school. So I went to two middle schools and when I was in Dubai, he told me we we're going to Sudan. I cried because I said, Baba, I don't know Arabic. How am I going to live in Sudan? Like, it's, like I start crying and moving there, honestly, looking back, best decision of my, like best decision ever. But during the actual transition, it was so hard from moving from a place where I can do whatever I want and like go out and have so many options of what to do, like go to the beach, go out with your friends, restaurants, um, like outdoor activities. When you go to Sudan, it's a little bit different. You have it's way more religious. Like it's it's a it's a Muslim country. It's it's under Sharia law, so things are a little bit different in Sudan. You have to, for example, when you buy electricity, no matter how rich you are or how poor. It doesn't matter. You're going to buy a redeem card for electricity. It doesn't matter how big your house is or how small it is. It's the same deal for everyone. Oh, wow. And then, yeah. It's, and then, like, when you have, like, if you have to go to DMV, it's like a nightmare. You don't oh. ever want to go to DMV. And it's a different way of life. But I went to a really good high school. Luckily, my dad was able to put me in, like, a nice, like, private school there. That was kind of like part of his, like, agreement for me to move to Sudan. Like, I put, he's like, I'll put you in the best school, but uh, <laughs> we're going to go to Sudan. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fine. And he was like, you get your own room. I was like, okay, okay. And I was like, and then, so then I met one of the, I met the best part of my like best friends for life or from that high school. Um, shout out to them. They all, they all went to UK for college. So that's great too. Uh, and yeah, it was it definitely taught me how to be more think about Sudan is teaches you how to be humble because mm. you really, you really have a new outlook on life because you go, you walk around the streets of Sudan, it's sandy. It's the weather's so hot. There's less, there's not, there's no McDonald's. It's, there's no American influence because we're sanctioned mm. by the U S economic, we have economic sanctions. And so it's, it's, it's a different way of living it. Um, but it really teaches you how to be humble and like you really appreciate um, you know the privilege of living in a developing country living in America or UK or when you visit other countries you really like appreciate you know traveling way more there's a and yeah that's just kind of like my experience I learned a lot about the culture Sudanese culture how to speak their slang uh, I got better. that's your background though isn't it you are your both of your parents are Sudanese yes yeah yeah both my parents are Sudanese um well my mom is half Syrian her mom okay. is Syrian and okay. her dad is Sudanese but my dad's both Sudan and the crazy part about Sudan is it's uh it's a mixture of uh like it's African and uh Arab so you have a mix of both especially mm. especially when it comes to our, like for example our weddings um we have uh we have like particular wedding where like um it's called the jertik where the they both dress in like traditional sudanese lot like you know the white jalabia or like the white gown for the men yeah. and the woman wears like kind of like a red sari and they kind of dance together and they, it looks very it looks like a very good mix of like an african arab wedding together and so there's a lot of celebrations but yeah. not to ramble off, <laughs> not no, to ramble off about this. No, I, I think it's lovely that you got an opportunity to live in the motherland because mm -hmm. um, I think for me, um, 
I mean, I was born and bred in London and I spent large chunks of my childhood and teenage life in Bangladesh. My parents would just pull me out of school and be like, we're going to Bangladesh for three or four months. And <laughs> it was the same as a teenager. Wow. We're going to Bangladesh for <laughs> uh, not one week, but several weeks. Oh, wow. And back then you could get away with doing that. Whereas now, if you try to do that, you get fined um, by the school or the education provider. They'll fine you for taking a child out. And I used to cry when I had to come back to the UK because I could really see the difference of belonging. Mm-hmm. It was about my identity. Like I felt like I really belonged and no one really questioned anything um, when I was in Bangladesh. And obviously I spoke the language fluently. And so I just fitted in. Whereas in the UK, sometimes you do have a few identity struggles of trying to fit in and assimilate into environments that are maybe... Mm-hmm. dominated mostly by our Caucasian counterparts, especially where I grew up, because I didn't grow up in the inner city, so it wasn't massively populated with diverse communities at all. So for me, when I when I did go visit my parents' country, it was always a bit of a bit of a struggle. Like I just didn't want to come back. Yeah, yeah. Totally resonate with you on that one. Like Yeah. And I it's I just think it's really nice, you know, to kind of talk about identity and Really, thank you for sharing. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about your dad. Now, I know he had a terminal illness, he had ALS. Mm-hmm. Um, and b- before we talk about that, like, what was your dad like? What was the relationship like you had with him? Oh, man. Uh, his name is Mohammed, Mohammed mm-hmm. al-Dawi. And yeah, I, I call him Baba. So Baba was a charismatic, um, very proud of his culture being Sudanese and he had he spoke fluently English and Arabic but he loved to tease he loved to joke around he was very critical of like um, he he was very noble so he really cared about what his his neighbors would think of him you know mm-hmm. and um, we had we had a we had a, a somewhat good relationship before he was sick but um, once he got sick it actually changed for the better because we started to trust each other more. We kind of just bicker a lot because he, he's, he's, a, he's a big teaser. So he knows how to, you know, grind your gears and like really, you know, annoy you by like making fun of, like he would make fun of my Arabic, say like, I sound, I sound bad. Like he's like, why did I take you to private, sco- high, private schools if you can't even speak Arabic? <laughs> what am I wasting all my money on? <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, and then he always say, he would always say stuff like, oh, I'm so smart. I'm so smart, Hatim. Look at me. <laughs> Anytime he says something that's like he uses like a big word or like or like you know a smart vocabulary or something like that. And then uh yeah, he was before he was sick, he was uh I think he's he grew so much when he became sick. I think he became such a warrior. Mm. Um but yeah, he was he was he was a great man. He was so loved by his family, big family oriented guy. If he would love to give gifts to his nephews and nieces he loved giving to the poor and he would never tell anyone like for example we had this graveyard down our street in sudan and the bricks were really like they were kind of broken down the walls so you can kind of see into the graveyard and usually you don't want to usually you're supposed to have walls to like you know create a space so my dad actually like donated a few like a lot of money just to just to fix those bricks he didn't tell a soul. He only told me like when he got sick, you know, or I heard it from, I actually heard it from his caregiver. <laughs> That's what happened. I heard it from his caregiver that he's the one who fixed it. And what's funny is that 
the wall he fixed um, was a big deal because when we had a revolution, people started drawing on that very wall. So my oh, dad wow. was a part of, my dad facilitated in a way that revolution in 2019 in June. Um, so now there's lots of like revolution artwork on it. Wow, that's amazing. What a legacy. I know, and no one knows. And it's okay. he, loved, he loves that. He, he always used to tell me, like, Hatem, don't drive a car that makes you look good. Drive a car that, drive a, drive a car less than what you make, you know? Mm. And his idea was not, not just to be like, Hatem, this is how you should think about cars. It was more fundamental life. I was like, mm. don't try to show off. Mm. Just keep it to yourself. You don't, you don't need to prove anything. I love and that. He, that's what, yeah, that's what he was. Um, that's the, I think that's the best way to describe him. I love quote. it. I feel like I know him. I feel like I know your dad. That's brilliant advice. Also, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's great. I, sometimes I feel, because I, I write about him so much, I, I feel like I embody him sometimes, like really like on point. Like I feel like I say some things that he would say, I would joke around. Your dad was very humble. Yeah. He was very humble, but also he, he, was, he was full of himself. So he had a good <laughs> okay. mix, you know? He had a good balance. Yeah, he's a typical immigrant dad sometimes too, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, he valued education a lot too. So he, he always wanted his kids to like go to States and study and all that. Mm. And was he being cared for in the States or was he in Sudan or where, where was he? Mm. So for the entirety of his disease, so he had ALS, which is like what Stephen Hawking had. Mm. Um, ALS is like a just like a little background on it. It's an autoimmune disease in the same umbrella as AIDS, surprisingly, and oh, okay. on MS and stuff. But mm. it, it it affects the motor neurons from your brain that your brain sends to your muscles, and the motor neurons just help your muscles like they receive it, the motor neurons, but. With ALS, they kind of like hijack <laughs> those neurons and uh, on a high level. So just, I'm not like an expert at this at all. So if your muscles can't get those more neurons, they start to decay and die because they're not getting any activity. So you slowly die and there's no cure for ALS. Mm-hmm. So my dad was going through this in Sudan and um, the entirety, he was looked after we started getting a caregiver like uh, like after a year and a half because my mom tapped out. She said she can't do it anymore. She, and she honestly did so much for my dad. And still, like we look back and it's uncanny. Like my mom sl- would do the night shifts where sh- she would sacrifice her sleep every like every night for the first year and a half just to make sure my dad like uh, moves or like you know like can do quick adjustments with his pillow. But then after a year and a half, it got too much, and we needed to get. Not one, not two, but three caregivers, one for the morning, one for afternoon, night, like evening shift, and then one for sleeping because it's really hard when you have ALS, you, you can't, you lose your ability to move, but also to speak. And uh, soon after, after a year and a half, my dad had to talk through a computer like Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, had a, he had an eye recognition um, monitor. So he, he would rec- he'd use his eyes to type. And what's funny is that he, he would use his eyes to type and he was still working <laughs> when he was sick. Can you believe that? Oh my Tell gosh, Suma. that's crazy. Really, I know, he was still, he was on Excel using his eyes and it's oh, really wow. tedious. <laughs> Imagine using Excel with your eyes. <laughs> like you have to, it takes uh-huh. a long time. 
<laughs> I know. And he's making worksheets. He's making, he's calculating, like he's doing, he's looking over his financial statements. He's calculating his ROI. He's, he, you can see him doing his inventory. He looks uh, all that. And I'm just like, dad, this is kind of inspiring. And then he looks at me, he can't speak, but he gives me a little look like, I'm so smart. Look. <laughs> <I just started. laughs> Your dad sounds funny as well. Oh my gosh. Real character. Bit, yeah. <laughs> yes, he had a beautiful smile too. <laughs> I think it's really lovely the way that you talk about your dad and laugh. And I think that's important. Um, because when we go through loss, it can be really difficult when we reflect back on these memories. So I think it's lovely the way that you do remember your dad. So, how long did he actually have ALS? So you had it for three years and six okay. months. Okay, for a while then. Mm-hmm. And what's that like for you? Because I know your your dad really was someone that pushed for education. He wanted education for mm-hmm. his children and to go to the States and be international. What does that mean for you as a young person halfway across the world? Wow. Just looking back, yeah, it was... It was crazy because he was sick during the time I was in college. I was just like a second year in my four-year program. And my whole life changed when I got that first diagnosis. I remember it was 20, 2016, towards the end, 2016. I just finished my first year onto my second. And then we, my dad got confirmed at the Stanford clinic, Stanford like hospital some stanford hospital in palo alto that and i was there the doctor said you have als and at best you're gonna have three years baba and my dad just i have a video of this too (laughs) i recorded it a little bit uh, because i wanted to send to my mom so Mm -hmm. my whole life changed and it really caused me to like change a few habits like like at school like i wasn't really focusing i was with the wrong crowd and it's just like completely 360. So every time I had a break, like spring break, winter break, Thanksgiving, you name it, I just go to Sudan and be with him and take care of him. So I had a different experience than most college students. But uh, okay. You know, that's hard. That's hard. While all your friends are on spring break, having mm-hmm. fun on the beach or whatever, going to Miami, or Mexico, you're, exactly. you're in Sudan, <laughs> look after your dad who's, who's dying. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you you nailed it with the. That's exactly how I felt, and it was tough. It was it was mentally like I, I I didn't have that much patience. That's the bad thing, you know. Like that was my f- shortcoming. I wasn't too patient with him. I I I would get, I would get a little angry, and I'll show my anger at him. But I'd be like, Dad, come on, like we can. Like you don't need me to do everything because he would ask for a lot. By the way, it, it, like maybe I wasn't too patient, but he he definitely utilized his sick card. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he'd want me to give him a massage every couple hours, and I was like, "Dad, you get like one massage a day. I can't give you two. <laughs> then, then my mom would see it. She's like, "Oh, Hatsune, we can do my shoulders now." And I'm like, "No, mom, I'm not a masseuse. I can't do this every day. Come on, guys." I'm supposed to be in Cabo. They're like, this is Cabo. <laughs> so, well, immigrant parents make me laugh. That's so typical kind of reaction. <laughs> this is Cabo. Welcome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Nile River is right there. <laughs> go, go, <laughs> go enjoy it. Go bathe. Go, go sunbathe or whatever. <laughs> Bless you. Oh my gosh. You've been through so much as a young person. 
and to test your patience like that the anger can relate to that when you're caring for someone that's not easy because nobody teaches you how to be a caregiver no one does and honestly like it's really tough i I give it to caregivers they're the most like it takes a certain person to be a caregiver i'll tell you that it really takes a certain person these are people with the biggest hearts and so compassionate like they put themselves in a position to be a pretty much like a, a servant to the sick the patient the sick patient and they do it with a smile mm. that's what baffles me Mm. you have to have a certain mindset for that and um, caregiving looks different depending on where you are so I mean in I always believe that caregiving is just brilliant in the motherland in comparison to maybe I don't know the UK and the states it looks very Mm. different caregiving services Um, but you are right they are people that go into that job role they are very compassionate very empathetic and have the you know just enormous amounts of compassion and patience and that's not an easy job to do at all it's really not costume it's like really like crazy and i have struggled so much within my mom did uh, I, I, I i it came to a point where my older brother had to tell me like hey Hatton, you're gonna have to pick it up and i was like okay fine and that meant helping my dad with the bathroom so anytime he needed to for example, like do the number one, we had a special like device, <laughs> like the, like it's basically a bottle and I would just help him, you know, do his number one. And uh, <laughs> it was really funny. He, he, we, we, he would be, anytime he, he say like, Hatim, I need to do number one. He'd be like, you have 30 seconds Hatim, before I pee my pants. <laughs> oh, <bless you. laughs> and I'd, I'd wait to 29 just to like tease him and be like, are you going to do it? <laughs> but then I'll just like, by the 30th second, I'd be like, I got you. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Having a sense of humor about these things is really important. I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to helping with personal care and stuff like that. It's, you know, your parents also don't, mm-hmm. I don't think they, you know, because of dignity I don't think they even want to put their kids through that but mm-hmm. it just so happens that sometimes when your parents have brought you up as a child and fed you and put clothes mm-hmm. on your back and educated you and done your toilet training we kind of have to repay that back um, exactly. not all of us but some of us do if we fall into those circumstances we and it really does teach you about empathy and kind of just our purpose in this mm-hmm. world and just how much we owe our parents really everything and and that's not easy what you're talking about there the personal care I remember mm-hmm. you know with my brother as well my mum taking care of them and nursing them through cancer that that's not easy when you're having to wash them and take them to the bathroom because they can no longer do that for themselves I like the, I like what you said when you the it's, it's kind of like circle of life. You have to repay them. They cleaned our diapers. Now we clean their diapers. And that's kind of what it felt like. Exactly. Like I, I'm not taking care of my dad. This is what he always, he always used to say, like, had to, if I got sick, this was like a year, this was like a decade ago. Like if I got sick, you'd clean my butt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, hold on. What? I have to do that. And then he said, well, I did it for you. Hatim. 
why don't you do it <laughs> for love, me? I love it. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, Dad, can we can we not go there? If we if we come to that bridge, we'll cross it. How about that? And <laughs> Kalsuma, we crossed that bridge. <laughs> oh, that was a very it's a very grounding. It's very gra- You become a very grounded person, mm. and once you help your parents relieve themselves, <laughs> there you can't like you lose all your ego. I'll just put oh, it like yeah. that. <laughs> you're not like if you thought you're, you know, the cool person in the block, uh, you, and you clean your dad's butt after that, you're done. <laughs> you're like, I'm just a normal person in the world. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. You do lose. You do lose all of your ego. Actually, the, the, there is no ego after something like that, and it really does bring you back down to earth of the reality of life. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. I think it's a privilege to be able to look after your parents towards the end of their life. In fact, and yeah, I just honestly, you're so young as well. I hate to be ageist about this stuff, but I think it's hard for for men, particularly as well as the gender thing here as well and and mm-hmm. women but because men tend to not take typically take on those roles so i like my heart goes out to you in this moment as you're sharing this with me oh thank you i really appreciate it. i felt that that yeah i know i know what you mean yeah it's definitely different also i forgot to mention i'm 23 <laughs> forgot to mention that in my bi- quick bio earlier yeah but, yeah you're still growing. You've got your whole life ahead of you and there's more to come and 23 is no age. Um, so I really, I have to say, and I think everyone that's listening will really admire you for how open you're, you're being in, in sharing your story. And these parts, these are the parts that we don't talk about, like personal mm-hmm. care and, you know, taking care yes. of our parents during the end of their life. Mm-hmm. These are the things that we forget. Well, not forget, we know, but it's just a, not a normal part of the conversation when you're talking about grief with your friends. Um, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Especially in my age, like no one goes through this. It's very rare. Like I was actually part of um, this uh, student organization in college called Camp Kasim, which is a student-run uh, organization where you raise money to get for a camp for kids whose parents have cancer. So you have to raise like a hundred thousand dollars every year to pay for every single camper to come and pay for the venue, like the cabin. And I met kids from ages six to. T- Six, 16 right these kids have parents that have passed away some parents some people are fought like have foster parents at this point because both their so both their parents passed away and i made when i met like a six-year-old that one of like their mom passed away from breast cancer i i was like okay these kids have it harder than me and they're even younger so it's crazy like this it, it should be talked about a lot more um going through grief that's kind of like it's kind of like one of the things I'm very passionate about, like talking about it, especially with kids, like, cause I think it's tough, you know, if you don't have two parents, you know, um, regardless of what gender they are, um, you know, it's nice. The more the merrier, I like to think like the more parents you have, that's great. But like, if you can't, it's, it's, it's a part of your, it, it, it changes because it's, you can't, it's hard to relate to other people. You know, like for me, if I, I try to I have to dance, with how I say like my parents, because I can't say that anymore because one of them is like passed away. So I have to say my mother, but I have to make sure I'm not being fishy so they don't sniff that there's something up with my dad or I, they want to know more. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And how long did you take part in this 
camp you were volunteering there or yeah I was volunteer it was part of college so I did it from second year to fourth year and uh I was a counselor there so ah, I had it okay so I, I had this age group 12 to 13 boys and girls and that's a hard age group because they're just going through puberty and they're yeah. very sassy, but they love me. <laughs> they love me a lot. I'm like, they call me, they call me like Uncle Kasim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an uncle. I'm like a cool uncle, they call me because uh, I, I, I have no filter. With them. <laughs> I totally see that. Yeah. You being the cool uncle. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, and it's a great org. Like I got to be exposed to kids who went through like the harshest walks of life mm. um they don't go through they don't have health the health um disadvantage it's more like their parents so it's like a ki- camp for kids who specifically their parents ha- went through cancer mm. so and then we have this we have this night called empowerment night where we do what we're doing right now we talk about how vulnerable we are and it's like like we sit down a big circle and whoever wants to share can share and people cry. It's like for an hour or two. People cry. People get very raw. They talk about what they're going through. And it's like one of, it gives me chills just thinking about it right now. Gosh, it sounds lovely. I feel like we need these camps in the UK because we don't yeah. have these conversations about vulnerability. And I think that especially if you're a child of that age, you it that is a very vulnerable space to be in mm-hmm. but very empowering to be able to share your story like that amongst other kids that have gone through that as well it's like a safe space um mm-hmm. yeah i'm yeah. just imagining it as you describe it it sounds brilliant yeah it's a, it's amazing Cosmo. like it's pretty something extraordinary i'll say the least because mm. You get to hear these kids' stories. They they get so emotional about it. And it's it's beautiful. It's like a release of emotion that I've never seen before. And these kids are just so strong. Like like we have we have this. I remember one kid told me like he thought about killing himself. He said it in front of everyone. And he said the only reason why I don't do it is because I come once a year to Camp Casa. And mm. everyone instantane like it's inst- inst- like simultaneously start crying i remember i i i i i i like lost it i was like this kid is crazy strong i can't believe he just said that and he did and i was like wow and like they taught me a lot about how to be like strong and they gave me a lot of confidence because i could be myself and the cool thing about cam Kesson, we all have nicknames so that's the fun part because you know you want to uh, differentiate between you know the current reality and then you go to camp casting you're like in a different place mm-hmm. so my, my nickname's hat uh <laughs> why i don't know but i just picked it randomly and it's a very easy name to pronounce i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> i love it i think that you know something we're not there's some shame in being vulnerable right um it's like society almost tells us especially us adults that 
there's it's you should be ashamed of being vulnerable particularly in the workplace and you know just certain social situations that you might be navigating is it's not the thing to do right it's seen as a weakness so I love Mm -hmm. that from a young age that these kids are being taught the power of vulnerability and they're being empowered through storytelling and and sharing their experiences because as they grow older you know they're like the new generation so it's shaping society to be better at having these uncomfortable conversations and and normalizing something that is seen uncomfortable for our generation and the generation above you and the generation above me because it is still somewhat a massive taboo topic to be able to you know to be speaking about Mm -hmm. death and what you know what's happened to you in life yeah for some reason it's so taboo i don't know why (laughs) but I guess, like you said, I really like that what you said about vulnerability is like you have to take some shame. And I know Brene Brown talks about this a lot. She's like a hu- very huge uh, person, like a po- popular person in the social work scene. Um, she's kind of like Oprah, I'd say, but she talks about vulnerability. And she says, you know, you got to earn trust. Uh, you, people have to earn your trust for you to be vulnerable, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, you know, share with those you trust truly. And that's kind of where I take an alternative approach. For me, I kind of take the first plunge into being vulnerable and I kind of see where we go. From <laughs> you know, like I, I know it's hard for people to open up. I've became so used to it because uh, life is too short. I, if I, after seeing my dad slowly decay in his health, I, like life is so short and if you're, my dad died at 55. Wow. He died in November. Yeah, yeah very young. I'm, and I'm 23 now. So I'm about to hit his halfway mark. So, and I'm just, I just remind myself, like, if he died at 55, let's just say, I, if that's the same for me, I'm halfway, I'm on a halfway point right now. So I have to, you know, do whatever I can to enjoy every day and be as present as possible. Whether and sometimes Merida's doing nothing. It doesn't mean like I have to go travel. I love traveling though. Same. <laughs> exactly. Healing. <laughs> it's healing. Exactly. It gives you more perspective. You learn about other cultures. And it's a, you're leaving your comfort zone <laughs> pretty much. So absolutely i kind of forgot where i was going (laughs) that's all right i i just think it's lovely the way that you reflect on it and i think there is a lot of power and reflection but just to kind of bring you back right um so looking at the blog that you have created in Mm -hmm. honor of your father and your experiences of grief um i read one of the entries where you got the telephone call that your father had died yeah um now, when I read that, I resonated it with it in so many ways, and it really got me, like in the heart. I can't tell you, it really, really got me. Yeah, because you, oh. you you described the night before where I think you were out partying. Yes. Yeah. And I want you, and I want you yes. to tell me. I want you to tell me what it was like getting that phone call and not, you know, you were due to go visit your dad in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, that was. A crazy twist of events, Kalsuma. Like, hmm. I wasn't so. I haven't really talked about this. I wrote about it. I'm so happy you liked it. I think we also come from Muslim families, so you understand the WhatsApp culture <laughs> so well. Yeah. But um, yeah. and it was in November 
the weekend, whenever the weekend was, it was because I remember the 17th of November 2019 was a Sunday. That's when my dad passed away. The night before. So th- that weekend, I, I decided uh, spontaneously to go to San Francisco to go on, go to this weekender, which is like just uh, a thing at USC where our football, American football team plays with their, with Berkeley's football team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a big, it's like a very fun thing. This is pre-COVID. So like, <laughs> It was a, it's a great time. Alumni come. It, it was a great time. I stayed with my, my friends um, in that Bay area. And the night before my dad passed away, I was honestly, I was partying. And the thing is, is that I was talking to my dad too, telling him, Hey, I'm in the weekend. I'm going to come see you next week. And then my dad's like texting me, like, I miss you so much. I can't wait to see you. Cause the last time I saw him was three months ago uh, or a couple months ago, September. So, and the last thing my dad sent to me on WhatsApp, it's really funny. <laughs> uh, it's a, it was like a meme. My dad's last words was a meme. Uh, I can't believe that was his last words. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a normal conversation, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you believe that? He left with a joke. What the heck? <laughs> but then the next day, <laughs> I uh, woke up. I was going down the stairs. In my friend's apartment, I had the trash in my hand. It's like 12 p.m. I'll never forget this. Going down, um, and I'm on my way to go to a weekend, a, 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 a close friend's brunch, part, birthday thing, whatever, in San Francisco. So mm. I'm going down, and I see on my phone, Uncle Mishy is calling. That's my mom's brother. Very respected man. Love him. He's like my second father. Mm. He never calls me on WhatsApp unless he needs something. So I open it, and I answer, hey. Hey, da- hey, Uncle <laughs> Mishdi, what's up? Then he's he first thing come out of his mouth in Arabic is al baraka fikum, which you probably know. It's like con- uh, means like my condolences. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, oh, who died? And, I, and, my, and I'm thinking like my uncle, because he wanted he has like he's sick too. And then he says, your dad. Oh and, gosh. And then I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I I didn't I didn't take it seriously the first time. I was like hold on <laughs> you're joking right like i'm coming next week and then he's like no 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 your dad passed away just now and um and then i just fell down and my heart the sensation i felt in my heart was like oh boy i i knew this was coming but holy crap it just happened and in my hunk my heart it just felt like a 360 so my heart just Three, like did a full 360 and then fell and then you know you can't do anything when someone dies so i i start bawling i just start crying and, and like i lost my breath i never lose my breath where were you when you got that telephone call in the staircase i fell down yeah. i fell down a little bit like i dropped yeah. off i dropped all my garbage like i was picking up the garbage I was, like i was throwing out the garbage and and then I, and then I told, and then my mom goes on the phone, and she goes so she's like screaming on the phone, like Baba's dead, Baba's dead, Baba's dead. She's she's losing it. And then I'm like, Mom, 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 okay, I'm gonna call you back in a bit. This is crazy. I, I can't talk to you like this. And then I'm just sitting there in the staircase, like, what, what just happened? And I just lose it, and I'm by myself. And then, luckily, I was with a very close old friend. Her name is Siri. Um. She's like she's uh, like also my 
good friend from college and she came downstairs. I had to call her after like half an hour of me crying. And she really helped me like, like I just cried on her shoulder for like half an hour. I remember I had to buy a pack of cigarettes because I <laughs> was so stressed out. I remember that was like the saddest, one of one of the saddest days I had in my life. And to lose some to lose someone that you know you're gonna lose, but you you never think you're prepared. Like I could not prepare myself for my dad to. I I knew it was coming, but I just couldn't. Uh, it's just like crazy. Like I. Like I'm, I was only like what twenty-one at the time, or something. No one can prepare you for that, even yeah. if you you know and anticipatory grief. Uh, you know, I remember when my mum was well, she had a very short diagnosis of cancer, and she died within six weeks. But nothing oh. prepares you for that, you know. Even though you did a lot of the caring and you were back and forth, that's hard for a young person. And that mm. three sixty that you described with your heart in that moment. I felt exactly like that when I heard that my dad had died mm. and it's, you just don't expect it. You, you know, it completely pulls the rug from underneath you. Mm-hmm. It really does. I'm, I'm so happy your friend was there though, that you called your friend. Yeah, luckily. Yeah. It, it was kind of a big downer for everyone, but I tried to, that was the hard part too. I forgot. <laughs> I had to act like nothing was happening because I didn't want, because I had, because, uh, you know, there was people over at her house, but then, you know, Siri, she knew exactly how to handle it. So I didn't care. I just went outside and they all said, they, they, when they found the news, they all gave me a hug and they said, I come home, dude, I'm so sorry. This is crazy. Like, I, like, we were just having a great night last night and now I'm so sorry. Like, must be going through hell. And I told them, Hey, like, uh, I just, I just need to breathe. Mm, so you needed, you needed some space yeah but, but, to, yeah and i just wanted to say sorry just coming in because oh, you no had worries. you had a good night the night before because of the football weekender mm-hmm. you talked about in your blog that you felt a bit guilty about the fact that you were partying talk to me a little bit about that yeah that's i don't i don't want to say i have regrets in life and I don't necessarily regret. I remember, I, because I, I, I was still talking to my dad, I already had, like, bear in mind, I was scheduled to go see him on Friday. Mm. And it may sound like I'm defensive, but I just felt, I do feel a little guilty because I was partying and I was drinking so much. And I know I'm a Muslim and uh, <laughs> my family's going to hear this and they, they already know. But I just could, like, I was literally having the best time of my life. And I, in my head, I was like, oh, next weekend, I'm going to Sudan. I'm gonna. I can't wait because I knew going. I need a certain level of mental happiness going to Sudan. So I thought going to San Francisco would be a great like pregame to Sudan. Mm. But I got thrown this big curveball. My dad passing away just before I came. Like I was supposed to see him on Friday, and this was on Sunday. So I. I don't know. I would, I, but at the same time, I don't know what else I would be doing. I remember if I wasn't in San Francisco, the blow of my dad passing away would have been even harder. Like the fact that I had friends with me made the blow a little like sweeter. You know what I mean? Like I had a little sugar in it. Mm. But, but like, if I was by myself in my apartment, because if if I didn't go to San Francisco, I'd be by myself or something. Yeah, of course. Been, like, 
That would have been very isolating. That would have been so isolating to not have anyone around you to support you and give you some love and reassurance. Um, I think that when a loved one is dying or has a terminal illness, you you don't know when something is going to happen. And you had plans to fly across the world, bearing in mind it's it's not like you're getting a bus to (laughs) visit your dad. (laughs) Get on the Sudan bus right now. Yes, exactly. It's not like it was a 30-minute trip. No, 30-hour, 30-hour trip. Exactly. You know, you know. Yeah. So these things are really hard and you do have to coexist when you're living with something like this knowing that family member uh, um, has a terminal illness and something could happen because you're also in education you're also working you've you know you have a a life halfway across the world Um, would your family I'm sure your family don't hold that against you because you're halfway across the world getting educated and working for a reason I mean they don't hold it against me but when I graduated, I when I got the offer to work at Oracle, they weren't about it. I got a lot of pushback from my uncles, my cousins saying, hey, you should be with your dad. Don't have that much time. And I told them, hey, like I know, but I have to. There's something telling me that I won't get this opportunity. And bear in mind, I've been spending every break, every summer break, every single opportunity that I could have an internship to be with my dad. And I sacrificed that. And I told my dad, like, hey, if I don't get this job, you're going to have to take care of me financially, too. And that's going to be too much of a burden. You're not working a lot. Like, because my dad did, my dad used to, my dad had a, before he got sick, he has a factory that he runs. Like, he, um, like he, he made, like, a small, like, plastic manufacturing startup mm-hmm. in Sudan. And he, like, quit his old job. He used to be in like a director in supply chain in the food sector. Um, he, was, he, was, he was doing pretty well for himself. And, but then he quit his job. He didn't like what he was doing. And he wanted, he wanted to be his own boss. And that's what he did. And he was still his own boss when he was sick. But yeah, like my parent, but to come back onto that, like um, when my parent, my, everyone was giving me pushback, telling me, don't do it. And then I told him, guys, I have to do this sacrifice. Because I will ne- something's telling me I'll never, ever get this opportunity to work at a good company in my life because I don't have any like good like internship experience. I sacrificed it all. And like this is the only chance I have. And then guess what happened a year later? The pandemic. Boom. And I, luckily, I still have my job. But there's no way I would have gotten a job during the pandemic if I stayed. No, and I, things are different now. It's a different life now. Oof. Yeah, it's different. Especially but, for young people. But how mm. does that make you feel? Like, how do you reconcile that now then knowing you did have a little bit of pushback reflecting back um, about, you know, there's not much time left? Mm. Well, hmm. I don't really know. It's something that I don't know if I feel bad about it or I feel good about it, but I feel con- somewhat strangely like calm about it. Like it was a decision I had to make and I had to swallow that bullet because my uncle, Mishdi, he was like, at first he didn't like it at all. But then he's like, had to, I understand because I had to do the same thing when I moved to South Sudan for a better job. People said, don't do it. No one liked me to do it. But then I defied them 
and it was a great idea. <laughs> so maybe this is your South Sudan move. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. mm. kind of, exactly. And and I, I asked my dad, point blank, actually. I was like, dad, if you want me to quit, I'm going to quit right now, sending the email. I'm going to give it to you. Like, you can decide because I can't and you know where I can't stay. But I, and then my mom, my mom butt in. She was like, Hatim, if you stay here, you're not going to, it's not going to be productive. You're going to be even sadder. You're not going to be, there's no way you're going to be helpful to Baba. It's better when you come in like, you know, every few months. That's what we need you to do. Every few months you have to come. Mm-hmm. And I committed to that. Every three months I come see them. I don't care what I'm doing. I, I, I will just make it work. Luckily at work, it worked out. <laughs> but the last time I saw my dad was in sep- September, September 15th, 2019. So I think that was like a month or, month or two before mm. he passed away. Yeah, it's a lot. I, I just have to say, as someone so young, flying back so often, because that's often, um, and, you know, that, that's a lot to manage and a lot of big decisions to make mm-hmm. uh, so early on in your life. And also, a lot of this stuff is out of your control. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. Very, yeah, very out of control. Like, can you imagine my little brother? He was... When my dad was first, like, Ahmed, Ahmed was, when my dad was first diagnosed, Ahmed was like, what, I'll say like three years ago, this guy was like barely 12 years old, like 11. Oh, so God. he was even younger. Cause he, can you imagine? And then he's the strongest person I know. Also my older brother, Hassan, he's like five years older than me. He's 29 now. He's, and um, he, he, he's, he's a stoic guy. So he's very he's he's good with his emotions. I'm 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 like we're like two polar opposites. Like I'm very emotional, emotional. And he's very like and he's also he's just very intelligent and like blunt. Um, so we we mix well. And Hassan, so Ahmed dealt with it like a champ. My brother dealt with it in his own way by like not talking about it too much. Mm. And but I think I'm pretty sure he consoled with his wife uh, Lorena because Lorena. And Lorena is Puerto Rican, by the way. So that's also a fun little story. <laughs> she's uh, not like she's not Sudanese, and that's amazing. Like first time in my family, um, like it's a mixed relationship yeah. in my meeting. So yeah. I love that. Um, I can't wait for them to have babies. <laughs> are, are, are they in the states? Are they in yeah. the states? Yes, uh, okay. yes, yeah, they're in New York. But yeah, my but yeah, like just to go back to my little brother, like that's. He he's a cha- like he's witnessed my dad. He was living in Sudan the whole time, mm. and he would just play games and kind of like, and he, he would give me some wise advice too. I'd be like, Ahmed, how are you doing? And he'd tell me, well, I can't control it, so I'm just gonna enjoy what whatever time he has. Mm. And he was like 12 years old. A 12 year old is telling a college student how to live life. <laughs> kids are smart they're very smart they know more than us honestly <laughs> yeah they do <laughs> what was the funeral like did you then fly out on the friday because muslim funerals are very fast oh you're so right the muslim funeral i missed it because oh, gosh. because you know how it is you know exactly how it is they do it immediately they don't yeah. even wait. No, they, I literally texted. I was like, guys, could you just wait 24 hours? I'm going to be there in 24 hours. Can I just see my dad be put to the ground? They're like, no, 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 no. We can't do that. Not good. Uh. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Bless I, I, you. 
Oh my gosh. I was like, what the? This is my dad. Like, like why are you guys rushing? Why are you guys rushing to put him to the ground? It's not like he's in a rush. <laughs> oh he's gone. God. Like, he's gone. Like, he's chilling. <laughs> Wherever he is, he's chilling. But I missed it. Because what they do is they wrap, they do the al ghusl. Yeah, the kushul. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the 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 sacred wash yes. of the bot. Like we'll do, it's like the we'll do like the, mm. the first time to pray, and then they wrap him in white, yeah, uh, and then they immediately put him in a graveyard. My brother was there, Ahmed, the little one. Mm. Hassam traveled. He got there before I did, but he still missed it, like me. And I will never forget when I saw my brother, because oh, sorry, the funeral. Oh, sorry, I, <laughs> let me talk about the funeral, but. I'll, uh, and I'll jump into that but yeah the funeral I missed it by saw videos all my high school friends like Tariq Zane Ibrahim and Nazar uh, these are like the four best friends I had in high school in Sudan they were all there with my brother holding him oh, and gosh. they supported me and they got my back and it was so good because I felt like a unit because I needed them to be with my brother because I cared about that and my mom for my mom she was very sad but in my heart, I knew she was a little relieved not to be, and I know it sounds provocative, but my mom was going through a lot with this. Like, yeah, my mom's, my mom's mental health yeah, I that. really deteriorated. deteriorated yeah. It will do when you're caring you know? for someone long term. Yeah. She didn't know it. She didn't notice it until a year later that she's relieved. Mm. A little bit. You know? but obviously, losing your husband, not easy, especially the way she did. Like that, 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 like seeing your like like to the point where like Baba had to he couldn't move he couldn't go to the bathroom he couldn't do anything he was a vegetable mm. and mm. it was so tough to I I don't even know how my dad even like kept his sanity like yeah he would cry a lot I'm not gonna lie he was very he became very vulnerable and I loved it and he'd always say stuff like I don't know when my day is coming but oh well, this is through the computer so I had a British accent <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I was like hello I don't know when my last day is coming but <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm definitely going to miss you guys <laughs> you see stuff you've got the ringing of that British accent in there <laughs> oh, I went to British high schools all my life by the way <laughs> I don't know why I don't have one <laughs> probably a good thing uh, I think people will find me more interesting if I had a British accent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the funeral, I missed it. Uh, I, I, that's one of the things I just sincerely, sincerely disliked. I, and I, I showed it to my family. I was very sassy. I was like, you guys should have waited. But <laughs> they kind of laughed. They're like, you know, we can't. Like, like there's no way in hell. Okay. So how does, how does that make you feel then? Because... I have an issue with that as well, but also being a woman, I, I don't know how it works. I don't know if your mum was, I'm sure your mum was there during the janaza, but in the burial, are women present or? No. no it's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing. They're at home. And like my mom, and then there's that, there's, I don't know if you have this too, but in Sudan, we have this, we have this tradition where you stay for four months in 10 days for the widower, the woman at home, she can't go. Yeah, it's morning, the morning yeah, period. Yeah, the morning period. She can't leave the house. I'll be honest. I understand from a historical standpoint why that makes sense because maybe in the past, like during the prophets, you can't know if like the woman wants to remarry. There's the question of, let's say she was pregnant and you didn't know who it was from. I understand that. 
I understand the morning period, but why does they have to stay in one place? Can't they just be by themselves? Because, like, that mentally puts my mom in a very tight place. Well, that's patriarchy, I think. I don't think that's even a religion. <sighs> really? I, I, like, I don't like that rule, to be honest. I, it's 40, it's I 40 days morning. I get that. It's 40 days in Islam, isn't it? Right? But in Sudan, it's, like, four months and 10 days, like, like what like, what yeah, the that's heck really... that's and then my mom she warns my dad finishes the four months and guess what happens covid so oh, she's shit. in quarantine she's been quarantine yeah it's a big oh, shit, shit moment she's in quarantine since last year and that's what she was telling me like i've been quarantining since like 2019 like this is ridiculous and who does your mom live with with your younger brother ahmed or yeah my younger okay. brother it's just them two she moved to the because you know like so then we have like big family houses where like there's like a three stories. So like the bottom story is like one family and then another family, the second and the third. She kind of hopped on to that um, to like, you know, change. Uh, so now she's living with my family. So that's nice. Um, okay. She, her, she went, she, she's trying to downsize too. Cause like, she doesn't need all that space now, mm. our, but we live right next to our grand, like that building. We live like two, three like houses away from us, so it's like we're very, we're pretty much like close neighbors. Okay. And, and um, so that's good. For, she, she's doing great now. Uh, if I have to update you guys on <laughs> and update you, Kalsuma, like my mom's doing phenomenal now. Like ever since we went on this little trip in November 2020, it was really tough too during COVID to be met in the middle in Dubai, and it was just me and her, me and my mom. I convinced her to come she was so she was so against it because <laughs> she wasn't too necessarily scared about covid because we'll get tested we'll make sure we won't see anyone and all that but she was also like i don't know if i should go i feel bad i'm gonna leave ahmed and i said ahmed's 15 who cares he's having fun we go on a trip we have a great time and my mom literally tells me till this day that that trip saved her life and that's the reason why she's like so much more uh awake more happy more like happy to be independent you know mm, very important and you have to do something for yourself when you're grieving in that way particularly because of the way that it was timed being at home for four and a half months and then covid hitting um that's really important but i i want to just go back a little bit because i want to explore this with you as someone who is young living in the west mm-hmm. as a muslim you never got to see your father be laid to rest in the ground. You didn't get to take part in the, you know, t- the gushal, um, to be able to do that for your father um, or to attend the janazah. How does that make you feel? Like I missed a big part of his send-off. Like, what, like, like what use am I as a son? If I can't mm-hmm. do what he did for me when I was born, I can't, I can't do what... I can't pass him off to the next chapter of his life because I didn't get to do it. So it makes me really sad. It makes me so, so angry that, well, why was I late? Like, why, why, why couldn't they wait? Like, why, why, why did this, these rules have to come in the way of me sending off my dad? Like, like I get it. His caregiver, his Hisham, who's our family's like fourth son. Like he's a, my dad's best friend, honestly, uh, got to do it. And I respect that. But I wish I could do it for him. You know, I wish I was there. Yeah, because that's your dad at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, you know, with Islam, I get why it has to happen quickly because it is about trans, 
you know, transitioning into the next life. I, I do get that. Um, but I, I think it's really hard if you live halfway across the world and you're trying to make a mad dash to get there on time. I, I think that's difficult. It's hard to reconcile your you know your grief and how you process that because it's important to be present right in 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 the final send-off as you said mm -hmm. it's, yeah it's, yeah it's very difficult I, yeah I, I really wish i was there yeah. yeah i hear you i wish i was allowed to be at the burial i mean i've been in the janazas but never allowed at the burial and uh i think that's culture that's not religion because i did a bit of research because this is something that i talked to all of my guests about a well my muslim guests specifically were you there at the burial and i did some research into the hadith and uh, it's just something that's been taken out of context women are allowed in graveyards and they are allowed to be at the burial it's it's oh. just a story that in the hadith that got taken out of context where mm. a woman was visiting her brother who had died and she was crying and then she ran into a friend this man who was also visiting a loved one and he said oh who are you visiting you know and she was crying and uh, she just said oh it's my brother and all he said to her was have patience he put his hand on her shoulder and said have patience and that mm. story from the hadith they've just taken that out of context and said women aren't allowed in the graveyard because you're too emotional or whatever when you that makes yeah that's that's that's, that's bs yeah they they it, it, they should be allowed I, I they are I, allowed they've just they should be our, yeah they are the exactly. men have taken it out of context and said women aren't just because that her friend said to her oh have have sobor and they're like yes. yeah <laughs> and that's it and they've taken that out of context but she was in the graveyard visiting her brother and she, she is allowed to be there so i think there's a we really need to differentiate faith from culture because i think culture is very patriarchal it is, and I fully agree with that statement. I, I'm a, I'm very big on like equality and like you know honestly, I, there is some rules in Islam I don't necessarily enjoy. I think it's the culture that kind of like Islam is a good, it's a good book, but in the wrong hands sometimes. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah, not, not not to go down this rabbit hole too much, uh, mm. but just to say like. The way, luckily, I grew up in a family. I'll say this: I grew up in a family, especially my two parents, where they tried to treat us with like a mix of Western and Arab, like Sudanese values. So we didn't take too much of the bad, like the unfair patriarchal values. We try to be like as open-minded, and so, like for example, my brother married someone who wasn't Muslim, mm. and she didn't convert. This was a big step. Yeah, that's a big step. <laughs> and. and my mom, at first, she was she she, she it was outside her comfort zone. She she got scared, you know. She was nervous. She was like, "I don't want Hassan to for it not to work out." But then I, I when I talked to my mom, I said, "Hey, like this is what Hassan loves, and she's a great person, and this is gonna work." And she said, "Okay, if it's gonna work, it's gonna work, and it's working." And my mom took it with so much grace, and now I can like I'm so proud. So it's there there is room for improvement. Mm. I, I, and not for that, but I mean, like, for going back to the, like Islam culture thing, there's lots of room to improvement, but it starts with our perception and, you know, what, yeah. what values we value, you know, want to embody. Yeah. And it's just how human beings interpret it. And human beings are fallible. And sometimes we take things out of context. Um, so it's, it is down to us. I very much agree.
agree with you that I totally get that so I'm you know I just got so much love for you for sharing honestly I really have right now and we're getting to the end of the podcast but I wanted to ask a couple of more things what did support look like for you have you had cancelling I know your friends were on board but have you had any cancelling or oh yeah yeah well I'm so happy I really love talking to you about this too and it's it's amazing like thank you for even thinking about having me and yeah i um i i i've I've been seeing the same therapist since uh third year of college so her name her name well i don't know if i have to say her name but she's awesome (laughs) heather Mm. (laughs) so heather's my therapist uh i won't say her last name but (laughs) but uh yeah i've been seeing a therapist that's pretty much all i've been doing so far um and we talk about it we we try to like you know think about good memories and you know process through some traumas and and so does, it, def- does it matter is she from the same community or faith does it does, does that matter to you or not okay the cool thing about heather is that she's really she's a complete opposite of me she's she's like a um she's like in her 50s white american california a uh, woman mm-hmm. california woman and it's nice that she doesn't know anything about where i'm from because i can be so blunt with her <laughs> i can say whatever i want so i kind of just took it um because like at the time in usc i didn't have um a lot of options you know especially with the health insurance they had so heather was my first therapist i ever had um and so far like she really helps me um like to process these things and gives me a different perspective um definitely mm. but, but does it does the identity thing matter to you um the reason i'm asking is because uh although i go into lots of rooms on clubhouse i've hosted some of my own rooms and one of them was does the identity and race of your therapist matter so i guess that's where i'm trying uh, to go yeah it does matter though there's i think we'd have a little bit more fluid conversations um if she was for example like she was african-american or she was arab uh all right or both that'd be great <laughs> like i was talking to if i was talking to like a sudanese therapist oh my god that would be we'd be laughing and crying you know yeah um yeah it does it, it depends on the person though it depends what you're looking for what you want to achieve from the therapy are you trying to have someone completely understand you or completely get or be or or someone outside of you so they can give you another perspective mm, interesting also i prefer having a woman as opposed to a man, because there's no way I can talk to a man like I'm the way I talk to women. Because I feel like women are, it's easier to talk to a woman about your feelings and they listen better. I feel like with a man, I'm always going to have in the back of my head, like, oh, I have to like kind of like be cool and like, you know, not make him think like I'm, you know, such a wissy. Yeah, you know toxic, I mean? toxic masculinity. Like, yeah. Oh, yes. 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 Toxic masculinity. That's a bit, that's something I'm trying to like. That's a big topic. I love talking about that. But, but you do know that there are a lot of male therapists out there. Well, there's a few. They are available. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. But I guess with what I like to do is I like I, I generally prefer just talking to an yeah. older woman, like kind of like a like kind of like a mother. Yeah, hey. That's yeah, hey. It, yeah, that's and it's yeah, got to work for you. It's got to be what works for you, right? And you're very aware that you want someone that's older than you and that is a bit more of a mother figure. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I think so many of us that will be listening will <laughs> relate to that. Uh, and, and thank you so much for sharing about cancelling and also just acknowledging, yeah, the identity and the race does matter. And that would be a whole other thing. Like you described it as laughing and crying and you'd have more fluid conversations. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. If I found, if I, if I, if I were able to talk to someone who was like similar, that'd be great too. You know, I, I can't deny that. I haven't tried it yet, but I, I already have like a good feeling about that. Mm. Yeah. Well, who knows what the future holds? See, see how things go. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And before we go to the gratefulness challenge, because um, I like to end with gratitude. Nice. Yeah, gratitude's amazing, yeah, I right? Like I like. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um. How how do you honor your dad's memory As, aside from your blog that you mentioned earlier? Um, how else do you honor your dad's memory? He loved being by the water a mm. lot because he grew up in Port Sudan, which is by the coast. Mm. So I like going to like the beach, and it sounds a little weird. I love talk. I kind of just talk to him, tell him about my day, and tell him like how I'm doing. It's a little weird, but I just go to, every time I go to water, I think about him. And we have a nickname. We just have a nickname for each other, Big Boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> funny, funny story. Uh, really funny story. I, I started surfing, and when I bought a surfboard, my second one, uh, it was a really, I had to find a cheap one because those things are expensive. Mm. <laughs> like, like, it can be like 500 bucks. But I found, I found one with an H on it for Hatim. And you won't believe that every surfboard has a nickname. I didn't know this. Or like some I didn't surfboards. Know that. You know what this surfboard's nickname was? It was big it, boy. Uh, ah, okay. Wow. Yeah. It was big boy. And I cried so quickly with like happy, happy, like happy tears. Because I was like, holy crap, that's like a sign for him. He likes me surfing. So when I go to the water, if I, I don't necessarily need to surf, but I always think about him. So when I'm on that board. I just think about him. I'm like, I'm doing this for you, dad. Like, I know you're enjoying this too. You can, you're probably with me right now. So anytime I go to the water, I think about him. Oh, that's so lovely. Super, super reflective. And I really appreciate you sharing this with me and all of my listeners. If there was one thing you want people to know about grief, particularly young people, because you said you're only 23, what is it that you want them to know? What I would like everyone to know about grief is that there's no expiry date, unfortunately. Mm. There's, it, it's, it's like, to use the ocean as an example, it's like waves. Sometimes you're going to have a high tide and sometimes you're going to have a low tide. And it just flows. You know? And the best thing about the water is that you can never predict the waves. So you can never predict it. So you just got to let it come to you. And when you're on the water, for example, and you're like, you can't predict what the wave is going to come to you, but if a big one comes to you, you're going to fall. Sometimes I fall a lot. I get wiped out and that's okay. I get wiped out by these emotions so much. You know, it's not, I'm, I can't sugarcoat and tell you Kalsuma, like, Oh, I'm, I love grief. And no, oh, it sucks, but it's so we are born into this life and we also have an end, you know, and unfortunately his end came way quicker in a very harsh way. Mm. And, 
there's there's a lot of growth that came. It really it really made really killed my ego or just like you know like deteriorated it. I still think I have a little like I still have I still think I have more work to do in terms of like how to deal with my emotions because sometimes I get very very um very quiet and like you know I get in my own little like like when the high tide comes and I'm just like oh god I miss him so much like I wish like for example you see when I see fathers walk like playing soccer with their kids I like lose it because I would love to do that with my dad Mm. you know there's so many missed opportunities like I won't and then (laughs) when I think about like if I get married like or like you know like get married or any life milestones, like, you know, graduating from a master's or, or, you know, like having my first child, he won't be there. And that's something I had to accept so early on. And I do feel jealous when I see other fathers, like healthy, like my other friends who have healthy fathers, I do get a little bit jealous. Um, so it's, it's not, that's something I'm working on right now. Like how not to be, how to just fully accept that he won't be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll try my best to embody his spirit. Yeah, I think that was so beautiful. And it is that acceptance, coming to that acceptance stage and acknowledging, you know, those moments of jealousy that you talk about that we can all relate to. And, you know, even when I'm in a supermarket and I see people with their parents, I sometimes cry because I'm just like, oh, you know, that could be me um, with my dad. Um, and then milestones, like, as you talk about getting, if you ever get married or have babies, um, you articulated that so beautifully. And I really wish you well on your journey as you move forwards, because you have got your whole entire life ahead of you, um, without your father. But I think it's beautiful how you honor his memory and how you talk to him by the sea. Just really, really beautiful. I really appreciate it. And this platform you have is amazing. Like I truly, like, I love what you're doing. This is exactly what the world needs. I like to say it's your ikigai, (laughs) Japanese term for you found something you love, Hmm. something you're good at and something the world needs. (laughs) So this is great. I love it. Thank you so much. So that brings us to the gratefulness challenge. Um, I love to end with gratitude, not to find a silver lining or toxic positivity or anything like that, mm. because we can equally um, say what, what we're not grateful for. Uh, I'll go first uh, and then I'll come to you. Um, so one thing that I'm grateful for is I have to say, like connecting with people online, because sometimes your biggest support comes from people you don't know that you've met virtually um, outside of your environment. And to create something like Bereavement Room has been a real honour and a privilege. Um, Super reflective that I can also talk about my experiences, but host this space for other people to be able to talk about their experiences and and just be 100% themselves and and vulnerable. And, yeah, just like, you know, me being in London and you being in Cali. So it's just (laughs) quite nice to be able to join those dots up and just connect with people on on something that is very deep and very personal because grief is very personal and we've sort of just cut the crap, but we've cut the small talk and just got down yes. to, yes, I you, love that. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. I love that. Cut the crap. We've really cut the crap. We went, we just dived into what really matters. Like what we, we, we talked of like these real conversations is what I live for. Like, I love that. Exactly. And that's what I'm so grateful for because 
we we just got to it you know we could talk about the weather for about a million years but we've we've connected there's so many miles between us and we've just shared you know a deeply personal account of your life um and I really am really privileged to be being able to listen and hear your story today and to learn more about your father you sounded incredibly funny and witty and honestly I just let's stay in touch I wish you the very best and before we close I'm going to pass the mic to you for gratefulness Thank you so much, Kalsuma. This is amazing. Thank you. I can words cannot describe how how much uh, love I feel right now. And like, yes, like you said, we miles away. And what I'm really grateful for is the fact that I have a platform to challenge the way men approach vulnerability. And I can kind of be kind of like a a catalyst to help other men. You know, be like, hey, you're still you're still a big guy. You know. If you talk about your feelings, you know, it's actually more, I think you're more of a man. If you can be honest, just say like, Hey, I'm not going through the best time. You know, I love, I miss my dad or, you know, open up about any of your experiences. So I'm really grateful for the people who actually like read my blog. And like, I know it's a little weird. <laughs> it's a little different, but it really, like, I really, like, it really, I love the messages I get. So I'm really grateful for the pe- grateful for the people who have, seen me through my journey and like they read it and I know it's heavy and they really just I just super grateful for it like it, like sometimes I tear from I, I get I, so much joy and like happy tears when people send me messages like hey like I love your blog like it's so relatable or like I don't know grief but I feel like I understand you so much and I know your dad like as if he was my uncle <laughs> so it's just it's it's been a surreal journey and I'm actually writing a book now trying to compile all that blog post to something like a book. It's really hard. I, I, I like, I can't really say I'm a great writer, but I'm definitely challenging myself to put that all into something for my dad as like, as a gift to him, you know, um, for wherever, wherever he is in the world or I don't, I'm not sure what happens after death, but you know, I hope he's doing well. And he's probably having some tea right now, listening to us talk. Well, that was Hatim Eldawi. He joined me in the room to talk about his father who died of ALS. Hatim was an absolute stellar guest, so open and reflective. We laughed a lot. That's the thing, grieving people have such a great sense of humour. And it's not that the pain isn't there, it's just sometimes we develop a sense of humour from so much pain. I can imagine how difficult it is to grieve halfway across the world without your family. It's a lot to carry and adds a whole other layer to grief. Let's wish him love and continued success. Well, that's it from me, folks. Until next time, take good care of yourself. I am your host, Kolsuma Ali.